this time so if y'all all stand and uh, follow along with the words on the screen
Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, giving us this wonderful day just to come out and worship you, God. I thank you for everything you've done for us because you've blessed us in so many ways, God. I just uh, thank you for this time. I just open our hearts to uh, prepare for this message that Brother Michael's about to bring for us, God. Uh, again, I thank you for everything you've done for us, especially for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all give them a hand. Appreciate them sharing that song and letting us share it with them. Go ahead and open your Bibles this morning to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Words to Live By, a new series. Uh, just going to be looking at some very powerful words, such as, of course, this morning, repentance. Uh, later on, the word forgiveness. Uh, the word love, uh, trust. And what several other items that uh, we'll be looking at that I hope and pray that will be beneficial to you. Also, I want to encourage you, if you don't normally come, to our Sunday night Bible study. I'm starting a brand new series, brand new, brand new series in our instructional class, which is over in the, uh, in the Family Life Center if you're not already plugged into a Sunday night class, the name of the series is Autopsy of a Deceased Church. Now, don't worry, we won't be performing any actual autopsies, uh, CSI or anything like that. Number one, I'm, the way God's wired me, I'd be passed out on the floor and uh, if we was actually going to be doing any autopsies. But uh, anyway, it's... Twelve ways in which not to become one. There's many of our churches, even here is everywhere, Ashley County, Arkansas, doesn't matter where, many churches that are dying. Used to, did you know this? England, Scotland was a hotbed of Christianity. But now if you talk to any Christians living over or have been to England or Scotland, great preachers of the 1800s, uh, now that that country has grown cold to Christianity, uh, churches that you go into, big, huge cathedral buildings, maybe four or five people in there now, just churches are dying, and uh, that you can, we can do something, our church is 151 years old, and it doesn't have to die, it doesn't, as long as there's Christians here who will stand for the principles of God's holy word, would you, if, again, I encourage you, now, a lot of times people I know are tired on Sunday night, and there's some people that, that do it all the time, they even come to choir rehearsal, and, and then go to class, and then we finish up, normally we're done on Sunday nights around 6.30, that's not asking a whole lot on Sunday, and I, and I know it's difficult, uh, we're Again, we're tired and whatnot, but I just want to challenge you. If you just want a little bit more of God's Word, something that you can sink your teeth into, uh, some more study, but I invite you to that class, uh, Autopsy of a Deceased Church, and uh, 12 Ways in Which Not to Be. We're not going to do all 12. We're just going to introduce the series uh, tonight, and uh, so in taking a look at this, let's... One more time, exercise your legs, and let's stand for the reading of God's holy word. This famous passage in Luke 15, and just not reading the whole story, I just want to get started. 
and verse 11. Luke 15, 11. The Word of God says, And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Father, as we bow before you, help us to realize the power of repentance and how much it is needed today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for respecting God's holy word. The uh, As we look at this section and just seeing what uh, God is doing and what he's saying through the inspiration of Dr. Luke here, as Dr. Luke penned these words about 2,000 years ago, and we see a pattern. Jesus is trying to teach them about people that were judgmental of others, especially if you look at verse 2, he says uh, they were accused, Jesus, of a man that was, you know, hanging around sinners. Look at you hanging around sinners. But uh, if you go on and look at verse 4, it says, uh, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which one is lost until he find it? And verse 5 says, And when he found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Notice the key word. Repentance is not... Now, restoration is a part of it, but the end of repentance is rejoicing. And you'll see this over and over and over. Restoration is just a, a great part of repentance. When you repent to God when you first got saved... You are restored in a rightful relationship with God. But it leads to rejoicing. And notice here, if we keep reading, and uh, verse 6, he says, And he comes home, and he calls his friends together, and he says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Folks, you, you, just, you rightly applauded Brandon for the decision he's made when he's uh, pop somebody on the back and you tell them you're praying for them and I'm so excited that you're walking with Jesus. I'm so excited when people, even if people are in their church and they backslide and they get away from the Lord, the whole job is not to cut somebody. Well, look at them. They're out of church. You run somebody down because they messed up. You run somebody down because they are, are, are doing something wrong. But we should seek repentance and restoration. And the end of repentance is rejoicing. In verse 7 it says, I say unto you likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more over the ninety and nine just persons who need no repentance. In other words, maybe who think they're better than somebody else. Ninety-nine just persons might, might even refer to self-righteousness. And then it says in verse 8, Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, she lights a candle and sweeps a house and seeks diligently till she find it. And when she found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and what she say? Oh, I'm so upset that I found my piece of 
silver. No, it says, Rejoice with me that I have found the peace which I have lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over just one person. You know, if just one person gets saved at promised land per year, there still should be rejoicing. Now, we should want more than that, obviously, more than one person to get saved and come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But, folks, the Bible says just one person getting saved causes the angels in heaven to rejoice. And then he continues with this same thought, but he expands it a little. He says, let me tell you a story about the prodigal son. Now, in looking at these verses, when he tells the story about the prodigal son, the story is following the same pattern that he has here. It's just a little bit longer of a story. Matter of fact, each one seems to get a little bit longer about the sheep and then the woman and then now here. But nevertheless, looking at it, we see here a pattern. Something was lost and then it was found and then it led to rejoicing every time there was a physical restoration and also a heart restoration that took place over in, involved with this. There's also some more dynamics with the this prodigal son, words to live by. And, and this story never gets old. It's a great story. You know, and as I look at this uh, story about, uh, I see a story about parenting. <laughs> and we have a lot of uh, young couples here today, and I'm so thrilled. And some of you, of course, uh, and... Whether you're at the beginning of parenthood or at the end of parenthood, and you know, and Miss <clears throat> Francis mentioned a prayer request and her great great grandchild, and there's just a few people in this room that can do that to mention a great great grandchild. That's amazing. That's awesome. And I'm so thankful for those that can do that. That's awesome. I believe uh, Merlin and Norman can do that also and think about their great-great-grandchild. But think about this. Parenting has evolved, hasn't it? It's changed. Now, it shouldn't because parents, as uh, parenting is still parenting. You're entrusted by God to raise a child from birth, or even if you... Consider adoption from whenever you get the child. You're basically, you have somebody for a temporary amount of time that you're entrusted with to raise. You know, things have changed. Styles have changed. Uh, People try different methods of parenting, discipline, mentoring, role model. Here, this parent uses a little, you know, a thing. Why would he do this? What ages? Well, we don't know their exact age, but think about this. He says, you know what? I can just think of what's going through this father's brain. Well, he's uh, 21. He's 25. He's 19. I don't know exact his exact age, but you know what? I think I'm going to give him some rope. And as the old saying goes, I'm going to give him enough rope that he might can hang himself, metaphorically speaking. And uh, so, in other words, let him learn some lessons, which tells me that that's a, that's a great model for any parent. Let your child fail. It's okay. If you always rescue your children, they will never 
Sometimes learn on their own, experience failure, how to recover from failure. These are great lessons, especially if you're there to offer some advice along the way. Hey, listen, hey, I failed too. I've messed up also. I've done some things wrong. And you offer that advice, how to get over hurdles. Also, I think about discipline. You know, sometimes discipline... At the same time that he had this child that wanted to go off and live wildlife, he had a son back home who was bitter because he was maybe showing favoritism to this other child and showing favoritism to this other son. In our in, in our home, we've had some, uh, you know, in, in raising our kids, we've had some interesting experiences. But I, I want to go back further than that. I want to go back whenever I was a kid. And, of course, I've shared the story uh, my parents believed in, uh, you know, it wasn't a time, well, they tried time out corner, but I had more fun sitting over there playing in the shadows. I said, get out of the, get out of the corner, you know, and, and of course, it was my mom and my dad, the belt said, I need thee every hour. Okay. It said that. I remember one time, a uh, house we lived in when my dad was going to patrol school as a state trooper. And I believe it was the house we lived in Crockett, Texas. There was this house that we lived in where you could you could run down the hallway, cut through the bedroom, you could make a circle inside the house. And so come up this way and go down to other bedrooms over here. Well, one time I got in trouble and I said, this will be a lot of fun. I'm going to run from mom. I just felt like I was faster than her. I don't know how old I was, five or six years old. And I saw mom and at first I was running for fun. Because I knew I could get away. It changed after a minute or two. Because I saw mom's consternation. That's a long-handled word for righteous indignation and anger. Begin to come over her face. And then I realized I wasn't running for fun anymore. I was running for fear. And I realized, and it was getting worse by the minute. As I'm thinking, I've got to stop at some point. This is not getting any better. As I looked down the hall, I saw this red glowing face coming toward me. And I'm thinking, oh, and I tried a few more laps. And it just, it, it just kept getting, we're talking about out of the frying pan into the fire. And I ran and I finally gave up and I begged for mercy, of which I got none. And uh, I got a whooping that I deserved, and most of them I deserved. And I'll never forget another whipping. This is a famous story, but probably some haven't heard. Is uh, my wife's folks believed in, in spanking too? They they did, and she got several spankings in her life. But her most famous spanking that she ever got in her life was when I brought her in from a date, and she was 16 years old. And she decided to uh, disobey, and she disobeyed. And all I knew was, was then I saw a dad and a daughter, and I'm sitting on the couch, and all I can hear is my date screaming from the bedroom. And uh, and I'm a fr- I said, and I'm, the thought crossed my mind: Do I get up and leave now? Would be a good time. And uh, but then the next part of the punishment was. Okay, now that you've had your whipping, go back out there and sit beside Michael. So my date's sitting beside me, squalling, you know, and I'm like, I didn't know. And and, uh, matter of fact, I just said, uh, I held her hand, let her get over it. 
And um, I stood up and I said, no good night kiss now. I said, see you later, Karen. <laughs> I got up and I eased on out of there after things calmed down and after she calmed down. But there, he had a different viewpoint. Okay, I'm not going to whip you. I don't think, I think, you know, what his age was, he was big enough to wear these britches. He said, okay, you want it? And you go off on your own. You're going to, you, I understand. Matter of fact, he was, but he was probably inside saying, Lord, protect him, watch over him, take care of him, look out after him. I'm, am I doing that? Have you ever done this? And folks, I've done this a gazillion times. Have you ever questioned what you did as a parent? Man, man, did I do the right thing? Did, should I have done that? Should I? And you know, and I'm not talking about, you know, there's some certain things you know, like, and I, I've been a big enough man to go to my kids and my wife and apologize for mistakes I know I've made. I know I've made them in my life. But then there's things that just, they're not clear. Or you don't know the outcome. You don't know how it's going to turn out as a parent. And you do, you make a decision. You say, man, I just, I, I think, I, I think it's what God wants me to do. I think that's the right thing to do. I'm not sure though. And I imagine all of these thoughts were running through his mind whenever he saw his son headed down that road. And he saw, did I do the right thing? I just gave him all of that. I mean, I, you know what I just gave him? I gave him everything he had coming to him. I trusted him. I'm trusting him now, but I know what's going to happen. He knew what he, his son was going to do because he raised him. He raised him. He knew what was going to happen. And we see it in the Bible as this prodigal living began. In verse 14, we pick up the story. We see it. <clears throat> and it says, And when he spent all, there rose a mighty famine in the land. So we know he wasted it. He spent everything he had. And the Bible says in verse 14, He began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of, notice it says, of that country. Which tells me and you that he was pretty good ways off. He wasn't right next door. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Another name for this, as a matter of fact, a, an opposite of repentance, if you will, is rebellion. This is what rebellion is. Basically going out and, and, and doing things. Everyone rebels against God at some point in time. Matter of fact, did you know you can be coming to church every time the doors are open, but your heart be filled with rebellion? You can try to rationalize it. Uh, matter of fact, uh, King Saul, he tried to rationalize his rebellion. He's in, and Samuel said, listen, you've rebelled against God. You, you're going through the motion. Sure, you've got a crown, but rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. It's, uh, it's going against God. It's totally saying, God, I don't need your guidance and your help anymore. Let me have control of my own life. And, Really and truly, if you're not saved, it's really not rebellion, is it? You just need to know the Lord. There's re repentance that needs to take place. 
So prodigal living, everyone is headed, can or can be headed in another direction, a direction against God. We find a powerful verse of Scripture, though. Many of us have, uh, we cannot ignore. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, it says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Prodigal living. Now you can have, you can live a prodigal life. A prodigal life just means that you're, you're, you're going against your raising. You're going against your, your training. Prodigal living is, uh, in other words, I'm going, uh, I'm rebelling. I'm going a different direction. That's prodigal living. I'm a prodigal child, a child that has, if you say a prodigal child, a child that has no relationship with the parent because I'm, I've cut them off. I, I want to do what I want to do. And many of us treat God that way. You're saved this morning. You know Jesus Christ is your Savior, but maybe you're headed a different direction. Your heart is headed a different direction. You've got everybody fooled in the church, and even your own spouse, and I feel like I'm okay, I'm okay, but inside you're cold and miserable and, and full of rebellion. We even maybe go through the motions, but our heart is not doesn't have the love, doesn't have the relationship with the Lord that we once had. Rebellion can come about because of just living a life of sin. Rebellion can come about by just saying, you know what? It's kind of like telling a child, don't do this. And they've just got to try it just to see what it's like. And it's not really that, think about this, now you know this, you know this. How many of you have seen your kids or your grandkids, and they're good kids, but they just want to try to just to live a life a little differently? Or you know what, it seems like everybody out there in the world is having a good time. I just want to try a little bit of that life. And it's not that I'm trying to rebel, is I just want to see, I just want to see what it may be like to live like that. You know what that is? All that is, it's, it's not a, it's not a rebellion as in, I hope bad things happen to y'all, I'm going this way. It's a, I just want to, I just want to let this flesh have a little bit of a good time. And it's that type of rebellion. It's not a rebellion like I want anybody hurt or I want bad things to happen. It's just a rebellion of I want to enjoy this life. I want to enjoy this flesh. But the rebellion is ultimately against who? It's against God. That's where the ultimate form of rebellion is. And that's why we need repentance. If you notice this simple slide... It's just a, a neat little pattern I found. Y'all know what repentance is, don't you? We'll get there. I'm going to give you a quick heads up. It means I've got to make a U-turn. My family likes to pick at me when we head on a trip because they know probably I'm going to make a U-turn on a long trip. <laughs> I'm going to make a U-turn on a long... You know why? 
means I made a mistake. I'm headed, whoops, I took the wrong exit. I took the wrong road. How many lives sound like that? I took, whoops, I made a mistake. I took the wrong exit. I took a wrong turn. Anybody in here ever do that? Am I the only one? Yeah. You know what I mean? We've all, that's, that's all repentance is. That's all repentance is. I'm headed the wrong direction. I need to turn around. Hello? Yeah. I need to turn around. Many times we won't. A new direction, we pick it up in verse 17. Verse 17, I simply call it this. <clears throat> a realization. The Bible says in verse 17, and, he came, and when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? You will never change your life until you realize what's wrong. You'll never go to heaven until you realize you're lost. You'll never, that's it. You got to, as old saying goes, you got to get somebody lost before you can get them saved, which means this, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I need to repent of my sin. The main sin that we're all guilty of is the, the, the sin of, Have I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior? Have I asked Jesus Christ to save me? Have you ever done that? Have you ever told God, I realize I'm a, told the Lord, said, Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. I need you to come into my life and save me. Now, if you have, if you've done that, you're saved. You're headed toward heaven. You're going to be in heaven. You're not going to lose your salvation. And then this decision, I realize where I'm at, I realize something's wrong, that's verse 17. The very first part of verse 18 is a decision, I will arise and go to my Father. That's just the very first part of that verse. I will arise and go, that's a decision. I realize, do you know what, my my life is pitiful right now, my life is messed up right now. I've got a decision to make. Now, folks, you can change your heart and your mind, but then you've got a decision to make. So many people don't follow through. I've talked to countless people over the years who tell, and you know, they see, especially when you surrender into the ministry, you're a pastor, you've been a pastor in a community for an extended period of time, and people see you and they equate, you know, it just comes naturally. The Word of God, they see a preacher, preacher, ah, yes. And then you don't even have to say anything. Just walk up. Oh, preacher, I know. And I didn't even say anything. Because inside their heart, they know what's right. I know what's right, but they don't do it. I know what's right, preacher. I know what's right, Brother Michael, but I'm just not following through. You make a decision. The next part is a confession. The end of verse 18 says this. I'll rise, go to my Father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Confess it to God and confess it to others. After the confession, then you have a brokenness. 
Verse 19 is the brokenness. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Is there somebody in here and you're, you're right there at that point. And God doesn't want you to. He doesn't want to make you. Just a servant. He wants to make you a son. A child of God. Because in a minute you'll see it. I am no more worthy. But that's it. Did you know you can't even serve in this church and be recognized by the Lord until you say, you know what, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve. But you serve and God recognizes because your heart's right. You know, so what if you said, well, I tell you what, I'm going to serve at the church and I'm going to work in a Sunday school class and I'm going to work in Awana so everybody can see what a great person I am. Now that may, and everybody may pat you on the back and say, man, you are doing a great job. If you're only doing it, though, for the limelight or attention, is God recognizing any of it? No, he's, man, they're, they're doing good stuff, but I'm not getting any glory because they're, they're soaking it all up. They're not giving God the glory. They're wanting the glory. And so that's why he said, I am no more worthy to be called. So then we have the actual going back. So he said all that. He said what he needs to do. And then the next part, what I call the homecoming. Look at verse 20. This is the homecoming. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father who's sitting out there on the front porch in the rocking chair, looking down the road, and he looks and he sees and he says, That looks like my son. That looks like him. He's coming home. He's coming down the dirt road. I see him. And the Bible doesn't say, man, I'm going to tell him I told you so. I can't wait till he comes back so I can tell him I told you so. He didn't do that though, did he? He, The Bible says he ran and gave him a big old bear hug. Big old bear hug. Have you hugged your child today? The attitude of the father is not, I told you so. It's good. Next part, I call it, I call it a party. Because at this party, he gets all kind of stuff. He gets a robe, a ring, shoes. He, he just giving orders. He said, man, this is my son. I'm so excited. He's making announcements right and left. Hey, y'all, come look. My son's come home. Let death in there. I don't deserve it, Dad. I don't deserve it, Dad. Why are you doing this, Dad? Bring a robe. Bring a ring. He's still my son. This my son was lost and now he's found. Bring him some shoes. Bring him a steak. We're going to cook a grill tonight and have a, a big old steak. He's going to kill the fatted calf. It's going to, and folks, what have you seen throughout this entire Luke 15? This entire Luke 15, you saw an excited shepherd who found one lost sheep. You excited woman who found one lost coin. And an excited dad who found one lost son. And they all threw a party. They all got excited. It was awesome. 
my son who was dead, but now he's alive. He's lost. And now he's found. Would you rejoice with that dad? And folks, I've seen this. Don't wait to return and repent till it's too late. Repent while your kids can see it. Repent while your parents can see it. We had this lady in our church. I was pastoring over in East Texas and prayed and prayed and prayed for her son to get right with the Lord. And he did. And it was great. But her prayer was answered after she died. She never saw it. You know, the Bible says that in Hebrews 11, these all died in faith, not having seen the promises, but were persuaded of them, embraced them. They they really believed them. These all died in faith to repent. Don't wait till it's too late. In other words, that someone can't rejoice with you. There can be rejoicing. As we get ready for a hymn of invitation, whatever the Lord may be laying on your heart, repentance may be what's needed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank You for helping us to see in Your Holy Word the power of repentance and that we can repent even if we're saved. We can repent. It would be a great example to others just to repent and say, I need the Lord more in my life every day. Dear Lord, we can ask You for forgiveness. We we can confess our weaknesses and our failures to You. And You will forgive and You will heal and You will pardon And Father, I pray that you would heal relationships. I pray that you would heal brokenness this morning. Whatever may be broken, broken hearts, broken marriages, broken relationships, that you could heal those this morning. Father, lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.